Good evening, everyone. Welcome to church on Wednesday night. It's great to see all of you here. We're honored that you would choose to spend your time with us here at Grace Church on a Wednesday night for a midweek Bible study. For those of you joining us via live stream, Facebook Live, welcome to you as well. We're glad that you could be with us. I want to give you just a couple of announcements this evening, um, important things to keep in mind, especially if you have young people living in your home. Uh, we want to remind you that on uh, Sunday, the 31st, um, for all of our parents with students that are ages 16 and up, if your student is interested in attending Youth Congress this year, there will be a meeting in the A Center immediately following service on the 31st. So please keep that in mind. And then also, related to our young people, uh, Friday, the 5th of February, there will be a uh, youth rally at Life Point Church in Prairieville at 7.30, so please keep those things in mind. And as always, you can be up to date with things going on here at Grace Church by checking out the app or clicking on that events tab on our website. Um, I was reading in uh, Acts chapter 11 earlier this week, and uh, there's a scripture there that you're probably familiar with. It says that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And have you ever heard that before? It was at Antioch that they were first called Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. The disciples did not call themselves Christians. The people of Antioch called them Christians. Now, why do you think that is? Because Antioch was a Roman city, did not have any uh, Judaic influence. They were far removed from Jerusalem. But the people of Antioch had apparently heard that there is this, this man, and the way that he treated people, and the way that he dealt with people, and the things that he said, and the things that he did were very different and you people, you act just like him from what we've heard. You honor children and you honor women and you have a different work ethic. And you talk about the things that this man has, has done for you. you. You sound just like him. So we're going to call you Christians. Have you ever been called a Christian? Something to think about isn't it? I hope that people think whenever they look at my life, there's something, something different about that guy. He, he sounds like, he acts like, he talks like that guy I've heard about. He must be, he must be a Christian. I want to be called a Christian. Not just call myself a Christian. I want other people to call me a Christian. How about that? Amen. God bless you. Have a good evening. Thank you, Jason. Great to see everybody here tonight. Welcome. Glad you're here. And um, pray that you're open tonight to the Word of God and the will of God uh, because we're going to dig into the Word of God here tonight. But before we do, what a service this past Sunday. 
Um, if you were here this past Sunday, certainly you were moved, motivated, inspired by the amazing manifestation of God's Spirit. And uh, if you were not here, I would encourage you, I would hugely encourage you to go back and either watch or listen to it on our, our podcast. Brother Ben just preached an absolute masterpiece here this past Sunday. And I've been thinking about it, have not been able to get it off of my mind uh, this week. And I really appreciate him being sensitive and letting the Lord use him. I'm always thankful for our Sunday services. They're just, uh, God does amazing things, and we're very, very thankful and excited for that. I want to jump into our, our study tonight, and uh, I'd like to remind you of the, the uh, very large uh, sign placard that's in our lobby. It's hard to miss when you walk in either door uh, coming in the front. It's our vision statement to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Those four different categories is when people come and become a part of Grace Church, uh, we like to try to put that person in one of these four categories. And uh, the, the group is bigger at the know God level, but it seems to get a little smaller and a little smaller as we funnel down to the make a difference level. And uh, we always are trying to push to have you stretch your thought process. Uh, we try to challenge uh, Grace Church from the pulpit every time we come to the pulpit. I commented on that a couple of Sundays ago. And tonight's presentation uh, I've not directly related this to our vision statement that I just referred to, but the past uh, four or five Wednesday nights that I've been teaching, <clears throat> I've been funneling down to this particular Bible study tonight. It's the make a difference uh, part of our vision is where I will be coming from tonight. Uh, for all of us can make a difference in the kingdom of God. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight. Just simply, we have a mission. Uh, if I could title this anything, I, I, I sought for different phrases to put it in form of a question, whatever. I just want it to be very simple here tonight. All of us have a mission. Outside of a couple of other people I met this past Friday night with our uh, trustee board, with our ministry team, and, and did a little vision casting with them, uh, their response was amazing. But this is, all of this is tied together. Uh, I haven't announced that I had been teaching a series, but I have over the past four or five Wednesday nights. And if we get through this whole presentation tonight, this will be the conclusion of it. But I wanted to end on the fact that we still have an earthly mission to accomplish for the kingdom of God. We do. No one's been given a pass. No one's been exempted. Um, and I want to talk to you about that tonight. And I would like for you to keep the last part of our vision statement in the back of your mind as we traverse through this study tonight that I'm, I'm in the kingdom 
to make a difference. I'm in the kingdom to make a difference. I want to begin tonight with a, a great missionary story that we can enjoy and, and maybe smile just a little bit before we immerse ourselves in the Word of God. A certain family accepted the, the call to become foreign missionaries, not United Pentecostal. And the mother was worried that while they were overseas, they would lose all sense of American style and fashion. And when they came home, their children would be relegated to the role of missionary geeks, was her way of putting it. They'd look like people clothed by the local charity, she said. So this mom said to several of her friends, look, while we're out there, while we're in our foreign country, once in a while send us a J.C. Penney catalog and we'll try not to let things get too out of hand to where we're wearing old hand-me-down clothes and shoes and such. So for several years, this mom carefully looked through the catalogs and make, made sure that their wardrobes was kept up to date based on American style and fashion at the time. So finally the grand moment came when their homecoming plane landed at LAX and after the years of being overseas and this mom and dad and the children walked through the airport and the mother could just feel people's eyes on them staring, almost pointing, just a burning hole of ridicule right through them. And the mom was nearly in tears and finally got down to baggage claim where her own mother was there waiting on them and, and she just burst into tears and said, I'm so embarrassed. She, she just cried. Everyone was staring. Do you really think we look that pathetic, that missionary-ish? And the grandma was very comforting and said, no, honey, you don't look that different from anybody else. It's just people just aren't used to seeing Americans carrying their suitcases on top of their head. Uh, Some of you have perhaps been places, I know Sister Murph and I have, where you see the grinding poverty and the human misery that others endure as their daily lot in life. You've seen the irony of a comfortable Western-style hotel along with a tasty breakfast buffet for the visitors from America, but just a few hundred yards away. There's nothing but the, the shanties and the scourge of crime and prostitution. And when you ride through that grit and grime in your air-conditioned taxi or tour bus, you find yourself thinking, and if you'll excuse the expression that I'm going to use to quote what one man said, it's just a complete cosmic lucky roulette game, he said. A roulette game of chance that caused us to be born in the U.S., instead of in a dirty back room in those slums. He went on to say we could just as easily have been born in relentless poverty, born into some false religion or atheist background, born with no educational opportunities, born in a culture of ignorance and fear. He's right. Instead, He went on to say, most of us have grown up in relative affluence. I will stop and say in passing that being poor in America is not quite the same as being poor in other places in the world. Excuse me. 
because our parents were here instead of there, we've lived lives of advantages, economic privileges, and spiritual riches. There are people who never leave the pitiful existence of poverty. And some of us glided into church tonight in well-upholstered comfort. Now, with that statement being made, God knew all of these things before the foundation of the world. Yes, He did. And I don't believe God necessarily ordains all of these circumstances because then there wouldn't be free will and natural laws. But He knew that you and I would be born and that we would live on the privileged side of the scale. So, as we've studied together over the past four or five Wednesday nights, during these weeks of exploring the eternal purpose of our Heavenly Father, it's clear that we're now called to give back, to do extra, to serve with extra Diligence. I hope everybody absorbs what we're presenting here tonight. But we are called on by the kingdom to serve with extra diligence, especially if our purses and wallets are fuller than other people's. I remember reading where Robert Kennedy, JFK's younger brother, was campaigning for president in 1968 and he was talking with a classroom filled with medical students, people about to head into lucrative careers. And in the room, there was this atmosphere of class resentment over his proposals to help the poor and provide health insurance for everybody and making sure the rising tide lifted all boats. And finally, he just stopped talking and asked them, okay, you're all going to be doctors and I understand that. But how many of you at some point in your education got scholarships or grants or any kind of public assistance? And after a brief pause, most hands in the room slowly went up. And Senator Kennedy really leaned into them and he said, You mean to say, now that you got yours, now that you've been helped to prosper, that you want to pull up behind yourselves the very ladder you use to get to where you are. Are you that selfish, he asked. And of course, there was a very quiet hush in the room. I'd like to remind all of us here tonight of the words of Jesus when he said, to whom much has been given, much is required. So our final purpose, our final purpose following worship that we've talked about, fellowship, that we've talked about, discipleship that we've talked about, and even ministry that we've talked about. The only one that we can do only here on earth is what I want to talk to you about tonight. These four things that I just mentioned, worship, fellowship, discipleship, and ministry, will carry on through the ceaseless ages. But here's number five. It's the thing that God perhaps wants us to do the most. And it's the only thing that we can do here. It ends here. We were made for a mission. We were made to make a difference. We were made for this moment. 
Grace Church, I believe, has been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. Jesus said in John 17, 18, as he was praying as a man to his Father in heaven, he said, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. One translation said it this way, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. This is not a heaven thing. It's a world thing. You'll notice the words in the world. We have a mission, a ministry, a mission here in the church. And we also have a mission here in the world. We are called to serve believers here and unbelievers out there. This in here is our spiritual family, but out there is our global family, and God informs us that we're connected to both. As Jesus explicitly presses a passport into our hands when he tells us in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Well, sending us to do what? I believe Paul Fills, in, fills us in on our assignment in Acts 20, 24. The most important thing is that I complete my mission, he said. That's the most important thing, that I complete my mission and the work the Lord Jesus gave me. He called it a mission. So let's tonight very soberly but also very enthusiastically embrace this as our final purpose in life. This is our final Purpose. This is the epitome of our vision. This is what we were saved for. This is what God ultimately wants us to do. So if the, if the gospel truly is good news, if knowing life isn't an accident, if knowing our being here has a purpose if knowing that God created us to love us and to have us love Him, if all of that is good news, then we can have, then we should have a moral and divine obligation to tell everyone we can about it. The very popular athlete, some of you will recognize his name, Kurt Warner, was a former quarterback for the St. Louis Rams. He penned his sports bio, uh, autobiography entitled Keep Your Head Up. Uh, Kurt has professed to be a Christian athlete, one of those who would sometimes irritate sports writers who would ask him, how did you complete 22 of 26 passes today? And we've all heard athletes say this by giving all the credit to his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A sports commentator once said to Dave Trevecki, a, a Christian baseball athlete, a baseball pitcher who was always sharing his faith in post-game interviews, the, the sports writer said, you know, when we ask you a question about baseball, we want an answer about baseball. If you want to be a Jesus freak and share your faith, then go buy a billboard somewhere. Anyway, back to Kurt Warner. Got hit with a... The same complaint. Why can't you Christians 
shut up about your religion for two minutes? Why don't you, why do you have to hit everybody over the head with it? And Warner gave a very poignant answer. He said, look, to me it's like this. I'm invited to a party at someone's house and it's fantastic. The host is just such a nice man, such a friend, such an inspiration to me. The party is good. The food is good. The music is good. The friendships are good. I'm having the time of my life. Meanwhile, my 39 teammates are outside someplace in the darkness, lonely, discouraged, wrapped up in their problems. What kind of teammate would I be? What kind of friend if I didn't at least go to the front door and shout out to them, hey, you guys, the party is unbelievable. Come on in and check it out. there's a lot of merit in that the word evangelism just simply means good news and evangelist shares the good news about the kingdom of God by the way even we even get some directions about our territory where we're supposed to do this sharing thing but Jesus said to his disciples and they were in Jerusalem at the time in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, he said. In Jerusalem and in all Judea, that was their world. And then in Samaria, in the uttermost part of the world, which was the world that existed around their world that they hardly ever stepped into. So you and I can extrapolate that Jesus is saying to us, Start at home. We have a mission and it starts at home. You start in your own community. You start in the building where you work. You start in the arena where you work and, and in your neighborhoods where you live. That's where you start. Jesus adds, then go to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. He's telling us it's okay to go to the next parish where there's a different racial and cultural mix. To go to neighborhoods different from yours. Go to where there's poverty and built-in animosity. You cross the border, in other words, from where you live into someone else's. And then finally Jesus tells us to get plane tickets and go to foreign countries to share the good news. You and I live in this incredible age where in 24 hours or less and spending a maybe two days salary, we can be on a plane and literally be around the world in less time than it took for the Apostle Paul to travel just a few miles. We live in an age of incredible opportunities to do mission work. You can make a friend anywhere around the world and stay in touch with them at all time. Now God doesn't call us to be his, listen, by listen, God doesn't call us to be his prosecuting attorneys. God doesn't call us to pin people down with our truths. He doesn't expect us to be his defense attorney either and explain away all the sins and shortcomings of the church. And of course, we're certainly not called to be people's judge. All he wants us to do is to be a witness, to get in the witness box, get sworn in, and just tell people what we know, what we've seen, what we've experienced. There's no doubt, people, there are people here tonight who just need to be loved. They need a little fellowship, and they need a little friendship. 
This was the theme of our Friday night meeting. There's people that need a little love and a little fellowship and a little friendship. The witness that we take across the street or across the vast oceans needs to be real and it needs to be passionate. We need to lean forward and say to that new friend, listen, I just want to tell you right here what a precious friend Jesus has been to me. Nobody can argue with that. Nobody can debate or dispute that. You can go on to say how he's changed and directed my life, how he's made a difference, how he's personally impacted my decisions, my values, my friendships, my standards, my priorities. That's being a witness. Not a prosecuting attorney, not a defense attorney, and not the judge. It's just being a witness is all that he asked for us to do. So for a witness to be credible, it has to be personal. Our courtrooms don't allow hearsay evidence. Nobody else can tell your story like you can. Nobody else experienced your story like you did. You have something to say in your personal sphere that I could never relate because it didn't happen to me, it happened to you. So let's remember again that God has a very simple purpose in this world. He simply wants to build a family. He wants it to be a, a global family. And our part in it, now that we are in it, is to bring other people in to it. To grow the family. And I believe with all my heart that God intends this church to grow as well as every other church. If a year from now this church is not bigger than it is now then we're doing something wrong. There's something that we misunderstand. Or maybe our focus is wrong. We're spending our time and talents and money in the wrong areas. So how do we do it right? First of all, I must share with those who are in my world. I have to share with those who are in my world. And I will promise you tonight that Sister Murphy and I, our ministry team, our trustee board, we're going to start stepping it up. We are. Sister Murphy and I already are. There's a great Bible healing story in Luke 8 where Jesus drives the demons out of a man. There are enough sons of Lucifer in this one man to drive 2,000 pigs right over a cliff. They themselves admitted, the demons admitted that our name is Legion. So this man is, watch this, this man is hugely grateful The demoniac is hugely grateful that he's been delivered and now he's motivated and wants to be a foreign missionary right now. He attends Jesus' school of missions, if you will, and he signs himself up for every single project there is. He wants to play the guitar and the praise team. He wants to set up the sound system. He wants to tear it down. He wants to organize potluck dinners and he wants to go overseas and pass out Bibles. But what does Jesus say to him? When the man asked, can I go with you, Jesus said no. Jesus says, go back home. Just go back home and tell people. People you know. People you're connected with. People who are your friends. Tell those people how much God has done for you. And all of us here tonight knows people that are not under that umbrella of grace perhaps like we are. They are, but not quite like, they've not gone through the plan of salvation, etc. Can we impact them in any way? Can we influence them in any way? Or are they having more influence on us? Are they becoming more like us? 
Or are we becoming more like them? There's folks here tonight that need to ask yourself that question. And if you think you can impact them by being more like them, then ask the demoniac that question and say, look, instead of having 2,000 devils possess you, why don't you start out with three or four and you can relate to the people you're around a whole lot better and see how that sounds. I'm sorry, did I say something that's just making everybody think real deep right now? I... <clears throat> God has done enough for us. and you know, Folks, there's backsliders everywhere, everywhere, yeah. everywhere. Surely there's one somewhere that we can impact. Brother Ben's message this past Sunday's really stirred me up. It's the power of a memory. Could, could you remind somebody? to get past the hurt and the bitterness and say, can you remember when God was really good to you? Can you go back to that memory? Instead of the current memory that's been embedded in your head for the past years, could you go back to that other memory where God was really amazing in your life and family? Back in 2004, there was a powerful story in the Los Angeles Times about the retirement of Reverend Cecil L. Murray he was a senior pastor of First AME Church in Los Angeles. For 27 years, he led his congregation of 18,000 people in active community ministry. And the slogan at his church has always been prayers with feet. They didn't just study the Bible. They built some 2,000 low-income housing units. They helped find people jobs. They expanded their neighborhood food programs. They ran their own community schools, they gave away scholarships. And the newspaper quoted Pastor Murray as saying, we must be a servant church or we are in default. We have to go from being pew workers to public workers. And there have been Sundays where this same pastor has gotten up in the pulpit and said, okay, look out there at our own parking lot. How many fine cars do we have? How much money do we spend on recreation or even cosmetics, he asked. And then this, <clears throat> what you do with what you have reflects on who you are. If you can eat a full meal in front of a hungry person, you ain't got no religion. <clears throat> we all know that there's always a stereotype about witnessing. <clears throat> You say that we should witness to the guy who may help you at the gas station and the lady at the checkout stand in the local grocery store. I don't discount the possibility that you might be able to do that. But I think the story of the demoniac tells us to find people we're already connected with. I believe Jesus knew that this man probably knew a lot of people. He had a reputation. And he changed dramatically. And the influence and the opportunity he had was, was no doubt countless. Which is why we need to create consistent opportunities where friendships can thrive. There's a major misconception that we really need to vigorously debunk. We assume that people are not into religion. They're not interested in it. And what we say will fall on deaf ears. Well, let me respond with two ideas. First of all, remember that we live in a nation with a real spiritual heritage. We do. 
and a lot of interest in matters of faith. People are talking about this all the time. Number two, the Gallup poll people did a survey and found out this, that there's more than 65 million Americans have no church home. And more than half of those 34 million said they would attend one if only someone asked them. Waiting for you to say, waiting for me to say, I'm into something right now that's really changing my life. Want to come and check it out with me? We're told that millions might would accept our Christian message if someone would simply bring them home and put a meal in front of them. <clears throat> I read about an optometrist who used the following as his eye examination chart. You know, the one with the big letters. Patients are covering up one eye and reading, God loves me and has a plan for my life. You know, the big G and then a smaller O and the D and then the L-O-V-E and all of that. And perhaps it takes them a little while to discern that and to figure it out, but that's what he gives them their eye exam using. Somehow we have to start waking up each day saying to the Lord, where do you want me to go today? Where are my doors open today? And of course, if we have an attitude of looking for the door, we're more likely to find it. Am I okay here tonight? Would y'all rather something encouraging and all that kind of stuff? We have a mission, and it's time while we have time to get as busy as we possibly can. There's an old anecdote about a man who had a favorite hunting story where he had the starring role in it. This is what a lot of Pentecostals do. I know because I hang out with you. He loved to tell that story. I know Pentecostals that have that story and they love to tell it. And as pastor, you get the dubious honor of hearing it about 400 times. I was to tell it over and over and over. And it doesn't matter. They've told you that over and over and over. I've gone home from church and said, you know, so-and-so came up tonight and told Sister Murph that they told me that. They told me that same story like 12 times last year. And they're still telling it. I said, here, here's, here's your story right here. He loved it when a new visitor came over to his house because that was a virgin audience. So he would gently or not so gently steer the conversation over and around until that story came up. He was a master at easing every thread of discussion over to the great outdoors and then big game and then rifles and then ah, there he was. Got to tell his story. In fact, as, as I heard it, as I read it, if the conversation seemed to be stuck in neutral and he simply just could not move the virgin audience from topic A to topic B to topic C and downtown, uh, down, all the way down to topic H for hunting, he would wait until the person was looking away it's something else for a minute, and then he would just clap his hands like that and very sharply say and then cry out, was, was, that, was, was that a gun? Was that a gunshot? Oh, and speaking of guns, I have a story to tell. People can be so persuasive in their stories too. I've heard fish stories so many times, and it's amazing how the fish grows. 
just gets bigger and bigger. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest here. You know, it started out, man, I caught a bass that long. But after the 10th time you tell it, that bass was that long and weighed 400 pounds. What if we did that with our testimony? And I don't think you could really over-exaggerate a true, passionate testimony. So maybe we could look for, you remember that door of opportunity to wake up every morning and say, God, I'm looking for that door of opportunity. Could we look for a gracious, warm, effective, sensible way to let Jesus' purpose for us permeate our lives and our relationships to be ready at all times? It says in 1 Peter 3.15 to answer anyone who asks you to explain about the hope that you have in you. So I must dare be willing to reach beyond my world. So we're supposed to reach out, to move out, to travel out from our usual circle that we live in every single day. Someone said one time, I believe it was Rick Warren said one time, the word go is actually in the word God. It's also in good news. It's also, the word go is also in the word gospel. It's also in the word Golgotha. And if you're looking for a good place to witness, the word go is also found in the word golf. Maybe we're a little too unaware that there are people living very different lives from us, very desperate lives, and they're only within a few miles of this church. Sister Murphy and I have recently been in the home of one such family, and what an eye-opener to see what kinds of lives people are living right now within the friendship radius of this church. And somehow we have to find common ground with these people who are not necessarily like us, maybe not Pentecostal, not even professional, not what we are and not even what we think, not what we eat, not what we drink or wear. We have to reach out somehow and try to understand the foreign mindset of people who don't crave the things we do and try to understand that way of thinking. Paul writes almost in desperation, whatever each person is like, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I've told this story several times, but it so, it so fits right here. When we were uh, associate pastor in Chillicothe a number of years ago, the pastor asked me to go visit a man who had severe back issues and uh, was not able to work. And uh, I love telling this story because it so illustrates what I'm saying right here. Now, this was a long time ago. This was probably 35 years ago, maybe, or more. I went in my little navy blue Sansa belt slacks and my little Oxford shirt with the light blue Oxford shirt with a button-down collar and my little burgundy necktie. That's what I wore and my little uh, ox blood colored loafers, penny loafers. And I pulled up in the, this guy's yard. There was no distinguishable driveway as I remember. And there were two, looked like kind of Harley Davidson choppers, motorcycles out there. 
and other stuff that let me know that I was not really dressed for this house. I needed dark jeans and a big chain for my pocket watch and a big knife on my belt and just black boots and something. But nonetheless, in my little Pentecostal cookie cutter fashion, I went and knocked on the man's door. He came to the door. He was very rotund. <clears throat> Had on an army shirt with the sleeves cut out of it, and it was unbuttoned all the way down the front. And one earring in his ear that said, party naked. And uh, very greasy jeans and black boots. Can I help you? And I wanted so bad to say, never mind, I have the wrong house. Sorry, I think I need to be next door somewhere down the street or maybe even in another neighborhood. But I didn't. Something came over me. I said, yeah. Told him where I was from, who I was, and said, if you don't mind, I'd like to come in and talk to you for a few minutes. He said, well, come on in. I spent the entire time at his house, well over an hour, listening to his whole story about everything he could think of. I'll tell you how long ago this was. VCRs hadn't been out long. And he told me all about his VCR. And it was VHS was better than beta or something like that as I remember back in the day. Told me all of his story. Never brought up church one time. Never brought it up. Listened to him, listened to him, listened to him. And finally said after about an hour, I said, well, man, I need to ease on out. And I said, uh, man, we'd love to see you in church. He came the following Sunday and prayed through the baptism of the Holy Ghost and I baptized him. When the Bible said to bear ye one another's burdens, that don't mean just Christian people of like precious faith. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. One translation of Galatians 6.2 6, says to stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed share their burdens, and so complete Christ's law. Some of you may be asking here tonight that, well, Pastor, I mean, you live in a nice home, drive a nice car, and, you know, you do all the church work every day. I very rarely publicize what I do, what Sister Murphy and I do. It very rarely comes across the, the pulpit. But in some way or another, we're going to integrate our lives into the lives of people who are outside of our world. And we do it often. We do it regular. It's been a part of my ministry for years. When you plant a church in a city where there is no church, it teaches you how to do that. You learn how to communicate with people who aren't like you, like the party naked guy. I went and had a conversation with that man for over an hour. Had never met him and was sent by the pastor. And I, 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 don't, I really don't think the, the pastor really expected that to be that fruitful. It was probably he was training me. Did you go and, and want to see what would happen if I'd run away scared and, you know, whatever, call the cops or something? I, I, I would love to have a conversation with a pastor. He's still living. He's up in years. He's still, I would love to have a conversation with him. Say, why did you send me on that, on that particular task? I want us to understand here tonight, when we understand these principles, it makes us better people, stronger people. It makes us understand how much more we are blessed. We understand the blessing of God in our life. We understand how much God moves and works in our lives. We, we get the point. We get the point. James 1.27 tells us that the homeless and the widows 
and those who have been who have had all love stripped out of their lives are our responsibility. Somebody said one time, and I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here tonight. You're getting the point, and I may not be able to finish this tonight. But someone said, I pray for the day that when the red states of America, the states where all of the so-called Christian believers are congregating and living and voting, We'll take care of the orphans and the hungry. We'll give ghetto kids a good education. I'm quoting somebody. We'll make sure everybody has a bed to sleep in and doesn't just vote to ban gay marriage. Where a person's pro-life concerns don't evaporate the minute the fetus becomes a baby is born and now needs neonatal care. God needs for every single person within our ranks to be a warm, cheerful, loving and lovable Christian who does care for others. Give a soft answer to the angry one. Where others picket and shout slogans, be a gentle friend. Forgive your enemies. Christianity is to love God and the person in front of you, they said. Jesus teaches that we should care about the whole world. He said unto them, go ye into all the world, not just the part that's convenient and the one that we're most secure with. So Jesus makes each of one of us an ironclad promise. He said in Mark 10, and I'll read it, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's but he shall receive a hundredfold, a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. One translation said, let me assure you, Jesus says, that no one has ever given up anything for love of me and to tell others the good news who won't be given back 100 times over. He'll give us adventure and fulfillment, first of all. He'll take away our self-centeredness, our egos. But there's also an eternal award. You've all heard that song, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. I referenced it several weeks ago. That scene takes, us, takes place in heaven in the shadow of the tree of life and with mansions on all sides. And even there in our present life, I see it most clearly when I look in the mirror, when I look at your lives and the lives of people that I hold dear. We are most fulfilled, we are most alive, and we are most godlike when we're serving. When we're involved in ministry, when we're involved in missions. So Jesus said, and I'm closing, whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's sake, the same shall save it. One translation said, if you insist on saving your life, you'll lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and the sake of the good news will never know what it means to really live. We'll ever know if, what it really means to live. So there's someone out there right now at this very moment, and your name is on the door to their heart. My name is on the door to their hearts, someone local whose personality 
whose life circumstances, whose background means that you're the, you're the perfect person to get to them. You're like Esther in the Bible that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. God put you here as a divine arrow for the specific purpose of being fired at that precious human target. There's someone local like that. There's a person in Judea and Samaria, meaning town and town, and God means for you to connect with that person. I heard about a sermon once, and, and I'm done with this. With this, I'll be concluded with this illustration. I heard a sermon once that played off the final scenes in the film Titanic. These half-empty lifeboats went into the water. Nearby, just 50 yards away, the cries of the freezing victims were slowly ebbing into the cemetery of silence. There was room on the lifeboats. There were empty spaces on the lifeboats with the names of the potential candidates for their salvation, but the boats didn't go back. They stayed in the safe waters of separation, of self-interest, of protecting the status quo. And this preacher summed it up in this sermon by saying, man, I'm never again going to just paddle past someone who needs Jesus. I'm going to look for open doors of witnessing, and I'm going to walk through those doors every time. I'm going to have my flashlight on and as I can scan the cold Atlantic water for someone I can rescue to just save one more for Jesus. So let me conclude tonight while you stand with me, if you would, that there are people in our church and there's people within the friend radius of this church. There's people within the friend radius of where you live, where you work. There's people all around us who just need some love, some fellowship, and some friendship. So I'm going to ask you tonight to, someone mentioned Friday night at our, at our meeting with our trustee board and ministry team, that old song, Lord lay some soul upon my heart. Y'all remember that? Anybody remember that? Love that soul through me that may I ever do my part to win that soul to thee. I don't believe God asks us what we can, cannot do. I believe God asks us what we can do. God don't ask you to do something that's impossible for you to do, at least in this instance. If, he, if this was not possible, he wouldn't be asking. But if you think it's impossible, God's always amazing at providing what you need, whatever you need. To make God's purpose in your life to be completely fulfilled and possible. So I'm going to ask everyone tonight as we close in prayer to give this study, this presentation, a lot of thought and consideration. And a lot of you are. A lot of you do. A lot of you have been. But could we step it up just a little bit more? Just a little bit more. And to fill up all these empty chairs. Wouldn't that be awesome to be packed out on a Wednesday night? I passed by a church not too long ago, and I watched their marquee as it scrolled by. They had three services on Sunday morning, 8 o'clock, 9, 30, and 11. What would that be like here at Grace Church to have to do that? I'm not after having three services, but I am after the people who would attend it. And I believe they're out there, and I believe they would attend. It's up to us to go after them. So do your best to wake up tomorrow morning 
and say, God, all day today I'm going to look for an opportunity. I'm going to look for an opportunity for somebody that I can share you with and just see what happens. Let's pray about it right now, shall we? Jesus, we love you tonight. We're thankful for the challenge of the Word of God. And maybe we're not as much complacent as we are distracted. There's so many things going on in our world, in our individual world, and, and, and all of the stuff that goes on every day, every day, every day that's been going on for months. And I don't know that we've been so complacent as we have been distracted. And I pray, God, that we could focus on what really is important, not necessarily today, but to think a little more eternal that would, would, that would be more eternally beneficial. And I pray, God, that you would speak to every person here. There's a lot of people here tonight who, if they would take this and just be warm, friendly, kind as, as just sweet Christian people and just nudge people a little bit to look a little more Godward, perhaps we could be so influential in people's lives and helping them make the right choice. And I pray, God, tonight that for everyone here tonight that you would lay some soul on our heart and, and love that soul through us, that we could be that true, true Christian person, that they could feel the love of Christ emanate from us and that they'd be willing to come and, and check it out and to embark on a relationship with you. Talk to us, I pray. Speak to our hearts, I pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight and sharing the word of God with me. And uh, fellowship with one another. And we'll look forward to seeing you back here this coming Sunday. God bless you folks. what we don't